All right, inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud, iTunes, you know the drill. Currently number six. Thank you, Richard Black of Shark Island, for telling me I wasn't big enough for you to come on it. The joke's on you now. And today, you know, I have a lot of stand-ups on the podcast. I have a lot of roast battle contestants on the podcast. I've been lucky enough to have some of my favorite musicians on the podcast. Stephen Piercy, Fred Corey, Joey Allen, Jeff Ross, not a musician, but a great comic. And today I'm really excited because I have someone who's behind the scenes in the music world. And she's got the fascinating career. She's even getting a phone call right now. You can take the phone call. That's how much I like you. Uh, she, Her career spans from the 80s to 2018. We're going to talk everything from poison to the tender beats and beyond. Please, inappropriate Earl fans, put your hands together for one of the great music minds in the world. Manager extraordinaire, Vicki Hamilton. Hey. Uh, Vicki is someone I've worn on this podcast a very long time. Uh, I first became aware of her on the uh, Behind the Music special for Poison. And it's not so much who she was associated with back in the day, but at what point of their careers. Like, to see Poison and Guns N' Roses when they were nobody, really. Struggling musicians, which... I can't imagine them struggling. You were there on the ground floor. I mean, what what was that like? Well, when I first started working with Poison, they were pretty fresh in town from Pennsylvania. And um, they were playing at the Troubadour. I worked out a deal with the Troubadour to pay their rent and phone bill every month. And they would give them a show a month. And that's kind of how they survived at that moment in time. But I just knew that they had the potential for greatness. You know, it was a great show. I mean, because back then, I don't think people appreciated how bands had to make it. There was no internet yet. You know, there's no My MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Nowadays, if you want to promote a band, you can go on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Periscope. I think Vine's still around. But back then, you had to hit the streets. and Yeah, it was all about flyers and uh, promoting. And Poison were like the promoting machines. They really knew how to do that. They were the kings of that game. I mean, and Guns N' Roses, uh, the, the same. Uh, yeah, they did their fair amount of promoting, but not to the degree that Poison did. And what, what do you think stroked that fire in them? Like, did they... Just say that, you know, because they kind of had a kiss thing going on, maybe not so much with the full makeup, but it was more about the show than the music necessarily. Do you think they realized we have to promote a little harder than say? Uh, um, I think they were like really smart because, you know, most of the bands I worked with had day gigs and stuff. Poison didn't have any day gigs. You know, the band was their day gig. They really and they were really great at hustling. Mostly girls, but also industry people. <laughs> well, that was important back then. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I remember in uh, Miley Cruz's book, The Dirt, uh, you know, they talked about they basically lived off the good graces of strippers and uh, friends of the band to buy them food and put them up at various uh, apartments on the strip. Yeah. Um, 
So it's just that's why the Sunset Strip to me was so fascinating. It was just like an ant farm of horny guys, w- beautiful women. Some of the guys looked better than the women. Are you from LA? Or? I'm from LA. I grew up in wow. Bel Air. So nice. Like, uh, not every comic is poor. Uh, <laughs> most of them are. But uh, I was kind of like the poison of a comics. I, I didn't have to have a day job necessarily. And I just worked on my comedy and all that stuff. Uh, but so growing up in Bel Air, I would go to parties in Hollywood and I'd have to take the Sunset Strip. So from Doheny to say Crescent Heights, it was just like, do you think we'll ever see a time period like that? Like a music scene, like where it's like um, that? Well, I think that there is a pretty healthy scene going on in Silver Lake and Echo Park. I just think that it really moves around. It's not as much the Sunset Strip anymore. I mean, I think that's kind of touristy at this point in the game, but there's always going to be a new scene and new cities emerging as the king of whatever's going on. You know, I don't think LA's like really had a major scene though since like hip hop and rap. I mean, you know. What, what I mean, what was it like, you know, cuz it seems music's very cyclical like you know for Poison and Rat and Cinderella and Warrant. You know, Warrant was probably the last big band from that era. To, to get their peace. What's it like when they sense the music is changing tides? Like when Nirvana came out, Pearl Jam. Well, it was like very interesting to me because at that point in time I was doing A&R at Geffen Records and, you know, the hair bands were still reigning supreme at the rainbow, but I kind of knew what was coming because I was in the marketing meetings for Nirvana and that kind of stuff. And the, you know, the, the marketing team at Geffen were like, basically don't do anything because it's working. You know, it's like, you might mess it up if you try and promote it. It was just like a house on fire on its own. And the next thing you knew, all the hair band rockers were wearing plaid shirts at the rainbow and stuff. <laughs> well, I remember seeing, I, I think it was a trickster video uh, and, and they kind of came a little late to the party. Uh, but you know, they, early enough to get i think one gold record and i was like why are they dressed like that like i think the singer had like a cut off flannel and the bass player had like ripped jeans i'm like that doesn't look like poison or you know rat when they look like gay pirates in their videos so <laughs> that's so like and, then, and i think so many people point to the nirvana video for smells like teenage spirit as like to me the end was when rat did the video uh Nobody writes for free for the Point Break sound track, and they were all in like shorts. And uh, I think the singer, uh, the bass player Juan, was in a uh, like a body glove wetsuit. I'm like, wow, that's this is. It's well, over. it definitely got as girly as it could get on the strip, and every record company had about five of those bands, and each one a little more girly than the last. I mean, I don't think it could have really gone anywhere. But where it did go, I mean, even Guns N' Roses at a point wore makeup for a few shows and things, but just didn't really fit what they were about, you know? (laughs) So they were like one of the few bands that survived that takeover of like Nirvana and, you know, Soundgarden. Yeah, I mean, I I think I, you know, people forget about Guns N' Roses. I I think I saw them once at Madame Wong's on... uh, 
I think Tracy Guns was still in the band, and they were quite. Uh, it was it was called Hollywood Rose. Hollywood Rose. That was pre Guns and Roses. But it was like Axel. Like, he had some pretty wild Aquanet hair. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Tracy looked pretty glammy. I probably booked that show actually. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Madame Wong's is like. I mean, that, I'm dating I, myself. Yeah, I loved Madame Wong's. It was a great spot now did you ever now this is like almost before the the glam era started do anything at the starwood i did well i was a cocktail waitress at the starwood because i have uh a fascination with eddie nash yeah uh, i worked there like the week before they shut it down oh wow yeah like uh, they found like a bunch of quaaludes and stuff in the safe and it was done yeah because i you know i walk my dog uh by santa monica and crescent heights almost every day and it just it's a russian deli now i know sad isn't it and it's just i mean when i first came here in 1981 it was like i went to star wood and i saw london play and uh you know that was just like one of the scenes that really mesmerized me to the point of that i had to move to hollywood you know because that was nikki's pre motley crew band right mm-hmm. and like when you saw nikki and and did you know motley did you have a hankering about motley crew going these guys are gonna because there were so many bands right. what made a band stand out um well i did not know nikki six when he was in london i didn't meet him until he was in Motley Crue, and I was a record buyer at the Licorice Pizza store that's Oz now on Sunset. Wow. And Motley Crue lived on Clark Street, and I kept seeing these three guys in uh, stiletto heels, like, walking up Clark Street looking kind of ridiculous, and, you know, because that was, like, when punk rock was, like, reigning supreme, you know? So to see that in the midst of a bunch of punk rockers with mohawks and things, I was just like, what is this, you know? And I, I basically thought that they were either brilliant or crazy, and it turned out they were a little both. So, yeah, I mean, they really stood out. Yeah, you know, which they were kind of the leaders of that glam metal scene. Well, because I remember uh, seeing them with Kiss. I think they opened up for Kiss on the uh, Creatures of the Night tour, and it was. Well, I don't remember that, but yeah. Well, that was Kiss when they were kind of fading out in America. Oh, okay, and, uh, you know. The man I have a personal obsession with, Vinnie Vincent, was in the band, and uh, it was it was like, wow, these guys are really shouldn't be opening for Kiss. They should be headlining. And, you know, they were so much like wow, uh, which took a lot to make you go wow back then because there were so so many bands that looked the same. And yet the industry was very resistant to it. I mean, Motley Crue didn't get a record deal until they had sold out Santa Monica Civic. I mean, I mean, was it? I mean. What caused the band to get a record deal versus not get a record deal back then? Like I mentioned to you, my love of Shark Island. I thought they were great live, good songs, but they just didn't happen. Like what? Why did they not get one and say Motley Crue did or Poison? What were you guys looking for? Um, well, I wasn't an A and R person at that point in time. I was a management consultant for Motley Crue, but. Um you know, Motley Crue just came out of nowhere. I mean, there was nothing like them on the scene. So I don't think that the industry knew what box to put them in. So that's what took them a while to get a deal. But when you're talking about Shark Island, who I also loved, and uh, 
Axel loved a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I used to go see Shark Island. A lot of people imitated Richard Black. I mean, not only Axel, but like Randy O from Odin, who I also worked with. You know, he just had the moves down. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, and I see that with comics. Some comics I know say, "Why isn't this person famous? Like they're they're amazing." And there's something, even though Mr. Black has not been the nicest person to me. Uh, He's just mesmerizing to me, like great voice. He had a good look and just it makes me sad when I see someone that talented, just, you know, bands pass them by pretty easily. And Well, they did get a record deal back then. It just didn't really, they were like a little bit behind the curve from what I remember, you right. know, as was Lost Boys, Randy O's offshoot that I did and some of the other bands. It's like, if you came out, during that time period where Nirvana and Soundgarden and all that was starting to explode, it was too late. You missed it, you know? And then, you know, what really made me sad is like when some of my favorite bands were, like you said, cutting their hair off, wearing flannel. It's like, well, you guys just did the cherry pie video. Like, what's with this look? I mean, was it a sign of desperation? Like, we got to do whatever it takes to stay relevant and or we're done? Yeah, pretty much. Um you know, I have this publicist friend to me that said that David Bowie always used to say, it's not who does it first, it's who does it second. It's, you know, sometimes the first person doesn't do it best. <laughs> you <Right. know? laughs> so you have to like recreate it, you know? And which gets me into what you're up to today. First of all, you have a book out. Yes. That encaptures really the whole era perfectly it's and called beyond i mean that's really it goes from my childhood through what i'm currently doing well yeah you're doing a lot i am doing a lot but the book is called appetite for dysfunction <laughs> yes uh you can get it on amazon but i would prefer you go to go Vicky. straight to me right Check out the middle man i mean vickyhamilton.com i have like 200 of the pre first editions and i'm willing to sell those for twenty dollars i have ordered more um second editions and i should have those pretty soon but i don't have those right now but i still have 200 and you know once the tv series gets made those are going to be the ones that everybody wants so um so they really have a few typos in them and a few different pictures and doesn't have the extra chapter but you know it's the first one so please go on VickyHamilton.com. And it's Vicky with a Y. Which is a great website. I mean, if you, any and all things Vicky Hamilton are there, what she's currently up to. And, and it's almost, I want to talk about this more than, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I could talk to you about Poison for two hours, but I'm so confused by today's musical climate and how, <laughs> how bands function you know, Best Buy stops selling CDs. Right. Uh, you know, there's no, you know, obviously no Tower Records, which like, I mean, Axel used to work at, I think, Tower Video. Um, like how to ban, MTV doesn't play videos. And you have several artists, uh, the Tender Beats. The Tender Beats from Brooklyn, New York, and Damien Sage, who is a singer-songwriter here in Hollywood. My only, only act that lives in L.A. right now. Um, 
And I have a country girl named Darby Sean who's just moved to Nashville. And uh, yeah, I'm starting to work with Elva Suiza from Three Bad Jacks. We've got sort of a new project we're putting together as well. And uh, yeah, it's starting a record company too. So. And what can we say the name of it? Or? Yeah, Dark Spark Music. And um, I've done a distribution deal with The Orchard, and I'm just putting it together and getting investors and writing business plans. And I just booked for my showcase on November 8th. So, where is it? It's going to be at Bordner's where they have Bar Sinister and all that, which I used to book that club. So it's kind of like returning with my new thing. So that's cool. But I mean, how does like with virtually no? I mean, I watched MTV the other day. It's it's Jersey Shore. It's sixteen, and I'm pregnant. Uh, how how do you promote a new artist like YouTube? Um, YouTube, Spotify, they play out. I mean, it used to be about, um, giving away t-shirts to sell records. Now it's about, you know, giving away music to sell t-shirts and, uh, it's kind of a different day. You have to like build a real brand to make things happen. Cause I, and it's nothing against the artists who are big now, but I see the big Spotify billboard on, uh. It's La Cienega and Santa Monica, and I, I don't know any of these people. Like, you know, and I just was like, how how does, you know, an artist, you know, I guess I'm so used to, you get a video on MTV, you tour. Yeah, the old way doesn't work anymore. You really have to create your own fans, basically, and promote to them directly. I mean, I think that's kind of freeing for the bands that make it. The problem is, is being able to find them, you know? So you have to be good at social media and figure out how to run things up the Spotify chart, do playlists and invite new bands that you like to join. And then hopefully they add you or you're on YouTube and, you know, you have a creator site and then you like, make a video with another creator so that you can appeal to their fans and it's a different day like when you say make a video is the goal just to put that on youtube and then you put it on your artist instagram and twitter and facebook and go here it is yeah pretty much you know whatever you know I have a friend that used to work at YouTube, and he says, in order to be seen on YouTube, it either has to be shocking, a how-to, music-oriented, and there was, like, one other thing. Funny. Right. So it's like, if if you can, like, manage to get all those things in one video, there's a chance that it will go viral. Or shocking. Shocking's the other one. Right, so. but, it, like, in, in the case of your country artist, like, how do you make a shocking... Like, you run over them with the truck? I don't know. <laughs> you know. Well, I blame that on like movies like Jackass and and, and right, like that have trained. I think the the youth and I guess the people who buy records or they don't even make records anymore. That download MP3s uh, of wanting just juvenile things to be entertained by. They don't want to see a video with like a November Rain type of video. I, I can't imagine today's youth 
No, it's a little that. over the top. So yeah, they want some guy getting <laughs> swimming in dolphin with dolphins in the street. I don't think are going to make it these days. But I, yeah. they want to see some guy getting kicked in the balls and uh, you know uh, I don't know doing weird things to their body and like if that's not in your artist genes, it's like yeah, you but you know I'm kind of optimistic because I feel like rock is trying to make a comeback. Like I was at the Echo last weekend and I saw um, Sextile and Dive and it was kind of a glam, I don't know, mod sort of fest and totally packed out. It was a free show from Do LA or whatever, but it was packed, you know, and people were into it. And, you know, there is there is a healthy scene sort of evolving right now. I just, I guess I grew up in like the best era and i know everyone says that about their era but like i think the age i think it's kind of coming back though is what i'm trying to say you know i hope like i saw some girls in bell bottoms and it was like glam it's like my niece always says to me you know you like tranny rockers because you like are really into boys and makeup and stuff but you know i do think that that can come back I hope so. You know, I mean, I must say, I did go see Weezer the other night at the Forum. How was that? It was one of the funnest shows I've ever been to. Nice. The, the crowd knew every word. Like to to see being a crowd with twenty thousand people, and they're singing to every song. And those guys, I think, are you know closeted metalheads. Like, I guess they're alternative, but they grew up listening to Motley Crue and whatnot. And so, but when they stopped touring and they won't anytime soon, but like when the Iron Maidens and, you know, Kiss and it's like, what big show am I going to go to? Like, I love. Go see the Arctic Monkeys. They're playing Hollywood Bowl coming up. And um, I don't know. I think they're great. I saw them at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And then I saw them in Paris. And that was May or June or something. And they're amazing. It's a great live show. And it's rock, you know. It's I mean, not like hardcore rock but it's rock i'm just you know i guess you know i like to think back to the old days and like you know the last time i was at the hollywood bowl was uh it was morrissey and billy idol which oh, is like cool it's a very odd pairing uh <laughs> see billy idol have to work a morrissey crowd was impressive but <laughs> w when you pair your art when, when you take your artist on tour do you put um how do you pair them up? Like, um, do you care? I, I, I mean, do care. You know, it's like I, I try and pair them up with bands that are similar, but you know, more importantly is that they play in a city with a band that has a draw. Like when I had Tinder Beats at Springboard in Texas, I booked them with bands along the way that had draws. Not that they were completely the same thing as tender beats and tender beats aren't really like anyone they kind of mix nirvana and radiohead so it's not you know it's like a couple of different genres in their makeup and the singers from south america so it's you know they've got a lot of stuff going on and when you how did you get to working with them did you see them playing somewhere actually i saw a clip on instagram and i just flipped out over the music and it was just like Singer sounds a little like Jack White, and it's it's a different sound. It's really cool, you know. When you're looking for new talent, 
to work with like do you look for anything in particular or is it just something that grabs you their look their um, sound it has to like sort of pass my goosebump test like i hear it and it gives me goosebumps i know that it's good and you know i want to you know first of all i gotta have a great song but like damien sage and darby sean both are extraordinary singers like they have these unbelievable voices like darby's almost like a modern day patsy klein and i always refer Damien to Johnny Cash, even though he kind of hates that because he's not country. He's, you know, a singer songwriter. And, you know, he grew up listening to Guns N' Roses and The Doors and that kind of stuff. So, you know, but there's something about the way that he performs that has that honesty and that sincerity of a Johnny Cash. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, now, country is huge. Like, yeah, totally. Is it easier to maybe break a country artist right now, then. Uh, I, I don't really think any of it's easy. I mean, it's, it's harder than it's ever been to break an act. I mean, there, there are, are not the budgets that the record companies had in the eighties to develop acts. Like I used to sign development deals where I would make a demo of four or five songs when I was at Geffen. And then we would like make a decision within a month, whether we we're going to sign them or not. Those kind of budgets don't exist. And, Record companies are kind of down to skeleton staffs, you know. It's like when I worked at Geffen Records, there were 300 employees. I mean, I'm sure they have 10 or less employees now. It's, there's just like, it's not the same. Right, I mean, you I... Know, I think that a lot of the independent labels are like cooler than the major labels now. Like, I think Domino Records, who does the Arctic Monkeys and another one of my favorite bands, The Kills, and I don't know. What's the uh, uh, what do you like about the kills? Um, it's kind of bare, but it rocks and you know, female fronted. And I don't know, I think that their music and their lyrics are very honest and kind of speak to the times. Like, I love that song, The List of Demands, on their new record. And like, I grew up loving pat benatar yeah uh, do you think uh is there a pat benatar of this generation like hmm. not necessarily her sound but like i miss like i mean no offense to Katy perry and i know she's monstrous and uh you know two weeks ago in nashville i was at journey and def leopard and it was sold out and i thought wow this is great and the guy's like well this is nothing taylor swift is literally next door at the football stadium and it's sold out like and taylor swift is great i mean but like is is there that yeah. gritty female that like is gonna hit the stage and span i'd like pink like the next pink uh, can you educate me vicky <laughs> well i'm trying to think who that would be um the new girl out there you know, I, I kind of like Lana Del Rey because she's a little gritty, but right. yet it's pop and it's got a sort of jazz undertone. But, you know, I listen to that in my car a lot. I like her, you know. Personally, I would like to see a Kate Bush or something of that nature come along. I'm definitely looking, you know, right. to find that. And are there any... Uh all female bands that strike your fancy right now? Mm, 
Not that I can think of. I mean, ever since the Donnas. I love the Donnas. Yeah, the Donnas were cool. But I like bands with a bit of a sense of humor. Uh, like, they didn't seem to take themselves that seriously. Uh, you know, another band that I just adored it was a Bowling for Soup. I, I, I just... You like them? You know, I like bands who uh, almost mock themselves, and, and but they're good musicians, and I, I just... Uh, I don't know. I guess that's why I like the 80s so much was, uh, you know, nobody seemed to take themselves that seriously. So I'm hoping right. that you can bring in the next wave of artists, Vicky. And uh, Well, I'm trying to think of what the name of that band is that I saw. Hold on. I'm going to tell you right now. Now you had, you also have a autism. Star crawler. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen her? No. Yeah. She's really, really good. What's and, and what is her? Uh... Um, you know, she's definitely watched a lot of Iggy Pop videos. Uh oh. <laughs> but she's a really good performer, and it's just like a vibe, you know. It's they're really good. Oh, cool, cool. Now, uh, my birthday is September. and also healthy junkies that are coming over from the UK, from London, right? Yeah, they're gonna play Bar Sinister in October. And endless stats. Endless stats, yes. Which is my first big comedy show is at Lestats. And so. I think Nina's really good. She's, you know, the singer of the Healthy Junkies. So there are some girls out there making some waves. Okay, because I miss, you know, I, I really loved Pink. She was like that perfect and still is. Yeah, she's really great. The Starcrawler girl's interesting, though, because she's got a bit of like Alice Cooper in her, too. She does this whole thing where she does this blood thing and kind of looks like, like Carrie going to the prom or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Carrie, I love now. Now we're talking my era. Um, now, September 16th, they're doing an Autism Rocks event. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, Alex, who is the founder of uh, Autism Rocks is uh, throwing his event. We're doing it on the Third Street Promenade, and Elvis Sweets is going to play, and a guy named Dylan Dunlap, who has autism and is fabulous, and uh, Logan's Heroes, who Logan is a drummer kid that I've worked with a lot, and he's bringing up guest stars, and they're going to play. And it's um, from 3 to 5 next Sunday. Oh, Free wow. concert. On Third Street Promenade. So. It's a free concert, guys, and it's for a great cause. Yes. Um, you, you know, autism uh, affects a lot of pe more people than you'd think. Um, yeah, every day I hear about someone else that's had a kid that has autism, I, you know. But, you know, a lot of the autism kids are very, very creative, and they have this special ability to create. So I think we need to support that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I do shows with several autistic comics, and they're brilliant. Like, um, I mean, I have a lot of respect. You know, to do comedy, it's tough anyway. But to be autistic and do it, like, you know, you kind of open yourself up to people making fun of you. and Because they're... Uh, can be at times socially awkward, uh, you know, which, you know, so much of comedy and uh, probably music as well as interacting with people. And if you're socially awkward, it's, I can imagine the uh, inner things that are going on in your mind. So uh, please, September 16th, go to the Autism Speaks event. Autism the Rocks. 
Well, autism probably speaks to you, but autism will called. speak at the <laughs> autism, autism rocks, rocks. Yeah. Uh, event September 16th on the third street promenade. But you, you just don't uh, involve yourself in the music world. Like you have several film projects. Uh, can you talk about that? I mean, you really are a jack of all, uh, a woman of all trades. What uh, are the film projects about? Um, well, I am currently working on a fictionalized account of my book for Appetite for Dysfunction with some really great TV writers. And um, we've been shopping it around and getting some good feedback. So hopefully somebody will throw down for it. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's a new thing for me. It's like I had no idea what I was getting into when I like started working on a television show. But um yeah, it'll be great if it happens. And it's it. Um, so you don't mention like the real like no one will be playing a particular band member. Like, hey, that's Axl Rose. Well, you know, I can't say absolutely that it I won't be you. that way because I have one production company that wants to use like real bands and right. mix them in with fictionalized characters, which you know, that's a good idea too. It depends on you know whoever picks it up how it's gonna roll. So sure, and it's because it's um, like I was on the Showtime show. I'm dying up here. Which oh yeah, was I, I not trying to get myself into the conversation? But it was uh, you know more or less a fictionalized uh, version of the Comedy Store in the '70s. But they didn't call it the Comedy Store. But you know that they had a Richard Pryor in it. But everyone else was kind of a fictionalized comic. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can imagine it would be something along those lines. Maybe you have a, a CC DeVille and then, you know, or you would have those characters under a new name. Right, right. B, <laughs> BB, uh, um, and then, cause I love when they do, uh, shows about past eras, but, yeah. uh, I mean, some of the stuff that happened in the eighties, it's like, you can't make that shit up. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't. I mean, I'm sure it's wild backstage mm -hmm. at, today at, at certain shows. But yeah, I just... it was interesting because a production company at Warner Brothers was interested in my show, and you know they did uh, Pretty Little Liars and some of those kind of shows. And it's just like there's no way to tell the '80s story and have it be drug sex rock and roll and run it on prime time it's just you know that's not gonna fly so well that's what i wanted to talk to you about because you know obviously we're in a new era of uh you know me too and and, and time's up uh and i think it's great that people are being called out on their i mean I'm, i can only imagine the things that uh, you saw as a, a female executive in a, a male dominated uh, business uh I don't know how. I know there's a movie about Motley Crue coming out on Netflix. I don't know how you accurately portray that band or that era in 2018. Like, you, I, well, I you know I think they have to be true to their story, and that's why I, it is going to be on a Netflix and not prime time. You know, it's a it's a different day we live in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you I know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all for the Me Too movement and, you know, women speaking their truth, but you can't rewrite 
the past. It's like you need to tell that story the way yeah, it I mean, was. I don't imagine you could clean up Tommy Lee's shenanigans uh, in 2018 like, and make it a, a semi-accurate portrayal. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a woman manager, I got all the time that the bands needed a real manager. And I guess by what they meant by real was a male manager. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I think that I'm mentally more creative as a manager than most of the guys that I've worked with. And, you know, it's okay. You know, personally, I like working with new bands. I like being right and I like being first. So it's like, I like being able to mold them. It's not the most financially beneficial thing to do because obviously after the band makes it, they make more money, but it's, you know, it's what I like doing. I like shaping them. Oh, well, you've certainly been on the ground floor of some of the biggest bands on earth. And, and once they become assholes, I, you know, I don't want to work with them. So. <laughs> Well, I find when they uh, become assholes, most of them uh, get a reality check when the next big band comes. And, oh, yeah, totally. It, you know, it happens to everyone. Like I always say, life is short, but a band's life is shorter. I mean, you know, you really have to like plot your moves. Yeah, I mean, I see in the comedy world all the time, but like, you know, I mean, Kiss was big and... And then, you know, bands like Molly Crew and Rat came around and they were basically younger versions of Kiss. And then, you know, uh, I mean, I remember Bon Jovi opening up for Rat. And then, you know, a year later. It's- yeah, I like put Striper on with uh, Bon Jovi the first time in town. They played the country club. Do you remember that? Venue? Reseda. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a cool venue. I kind of miss it. I mean, Striper, uh, I you know... I, I mean, I want to talk about today's action, but like Striper to me were great musicians, but they just never, because of the Bumblebee outfits and the Bibles in the crowd, like, uh, it, I mean, they had a nice run. Yeah. Still to this day, it's hard for me to put black and yellow together after working Striper. It's, yeah. Was it, I mean, we talked earlier about pairing your artist, your current artist now. Like, how did you go about pairing Striper with anybody? Like, because they, they had a different shtick, the Christian rock. Um, well, how I got them on that Bon Jovi show was uh, Bon Jovi was managed by Motley Crue's managers, Doc McGee and Doug Thaler. And Doug Thaler sort of mentored me when, you know, I was coming up in the ranks and somehow I talked them into letting Striper open that show. I don't think I mentioned that they were a Christian band. So, you know, that's probably how I nailed it down. But, um, yeah. I mean, I think I remember seeing them at the country club and they were throwing Bibles out. Might've been the show. You, you probably, promoted the show i was yeah at. probably and uh i remember just people yeah, it's like when they started hitting the kids in the heads with bibles it was like time for me to move on <laughs> now do you see a, like a, a striper like band uh like could that ever fly today like uh like i would love to see a band today come like out like a metal like, well band or? you know i'm all about the performance yeah. uh aspects of it uh you know, there was a band, I think about 10 years ago, uh, they were called the Click Five. And it, I don't know them, but I'm telling you, I want you to just, I know you got a lot on your plate. Just, 
I'm going to send you one song of theirs and tell okay. me how this band didn't make it. Uh, they were a boy band, uh, but they played their own instruments. And they they were from Boston, so they had like a Cars meet the Backstreet Boys. And they had wow. Vid- I mean, and uh, actually Elliot Easton from the Cars wrote a song for them. Uh, Paul Stanley wrote a song for them. Maybe they had to use outside writers, but like... It just blows me away. I, I would love to see a band like that or Striper, not necessarily just come out in matching outfits and like the, the whole show. You know, uh, do you think that could fly in 2018? Sure. If, if it there's, was, a, there's always going to be the new boy band or girl band, you know, I think. I mean, you know, that, those are the kind of bands that harvest Justin Timberlake's of the world. You know, they got to start somewhere. Now, uh, would you, I'm fascinated by uh, shows like American Idol, The Mm. Voice. Uh, I mean, would you put one of your artists on those shows? Um, I have had some of my acts like audition for them, but none of them have gotten accepted. And, you know, I think it's because my things are highly original. (laughs) and. You know, when it comes to like American Idol, it's like you really don't want to be in the top 10 because they like own you for life at that point. So I think the best thing to do is to get on the show and be cut before 10. So you like still have a chance at your own career. But right, it's a pretty gnarly contract that they make you sign if you like place in the top 10. I think I was reading the the tale. I think his name was. I think he won maybe the third or fourth season. He, he was a little older. A Taylor. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Taylor Hicks. Yeah, uh, I might be off on the name. And he gave an interview recently about the contract, and it was like, I mean, I always knew record contracts were, you know, you're pretty much owned by the label. Uh, you know, my first experience with that was Quiet Riot's first. Uh, record deal with i think pasha records yeah yeah right dude i have a rain man knowledge of useless information <laughs> well they were kind of you know they were even before motley Crue, so they were really a front runners of that scene you know but you would think like as a lay person uh i would think wow they must be millionaires just because their first record sold like i think four or five million copies and come on feel the noise and and uh, mental health and I think they spent all their money on Coke. I mean, I was at a I was at a party in um, Pasadena that Quiet Riot threw and I mean there were like bowls of Coke on the table and I would like watch Kevin Debro like snort up a line that was like an inch thick and like ten inches long. He did die of a heart attack, right, or something. He did. I mean I think yeah. he uh, uh as I say in the comedy world, he liked to live life close to the flame. Yeah, very close. <laughs> and was big... I was like, I watched that and I was like, how is he not having a heart attack right now? <laughs> yeah, no, it gets, uh, you know, guys from that era are starting to move on and pass. and uh, Yeah, a lot of them. I mean, they're dropping like flies. I mean, it's almost like as bad as uh, pro wrestlers, you know, who. You know, someone made a list the other day of pro wrestlers who've died before the age of 50. And it was like, my God, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. And, uh, you know, so that's why uh, I think performers in general, you know, whether they're actors or musicians or whatever, they live a harder life, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, like I'm amazed Ozzy is still alive. Uh, Right. 
I, I think know. he's sober now, right? It's like he'd have to be. I mean, you know. Well, even when I made the record with June Carter Cash, she was like showing me like these pictures in the hallway of the cow shed house. And uh, she's showing me this one of the Grand Ole Raw Opry. And it's like everyone, you know, from the Grand Ole Opry. And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, honey. It's like, I think everyone here is dead. But me and John, I mean, you know. Yeah. It's... I mean, and the country people lived hard, too. And they had... You know, they ate really bad food and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, I guess all musicians, successful musicians uh, li can live hard because they have the money to, you know, to buy uh, whatever uh, refreshments uh, they yeah. want. And, um, you know, very few survive. I mean, very but, you few. know, today's bands, I see a lot of bands are like kind of healthy. And they yeah. like clean their house and stuff. It's like funny how the next generation is a different breed yeah i mean they're like vegan and yeah you know they have fitness trainers and you know they have uh they eat kale every day i mean you know home i don't <laughs> imagine uh chris holmes from wasp having a fitness trainer and uh yeah probably not um, although on that metal years film that was water it was not vodka so. <laughs> yeah i mean i said wow that's, uh, yeah. like um do you see like do you think you could do another decline of Western civilization type, uh, you, you know, documentary and and capture like say the last twenty years, like what's going on with the nineties and the two thousands? Well, I have done. I've been doing documentary footage for the last like ten years, and a lot of the people I've interviewed have died. It's like it's becoming, you know, you know. It's archiving a lot of that stuff. It's like I started out making it about women in the music business, and then everybody wanted to talk about the internet. So I have a lot of footage about what the internet has done. I even interviewed um, Steve Wozniak and some people like that. But um, like I interviewed Kim Fowley. You know, I interviewed Jerry Heller, who did NWA. Oh, wow. oh my God. We even have footage of Jerry Heller like getting French kissed by his pit bull. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've got some great footage. So, you know, it's really about shooting some B roll and stringing it out and putting it together, you know? Well, I would love to see that just because uh, even the last 20 years has been fascinating. And, uh, you know, like I used to date the manager for Motorhead, the female manager. Uh, they have a female manager? Well, they have the a guy. It's Todd Sangerman. Todd, right. And his uh, other managing half is Shelly, let's say Shelly B. I don't know she wants her last name out there in the ether. But uh, so I really like to, I almost became a Motorhead fan just because I had to go to all. I loved Motorhead. It's like. I lived with this English girl that uh, worked at a record company from London and she knew all those guys. So when they came to town and they played the Palladium, it's like I got to go with them and uh, she made them a curry and we sat down and we had dinner and Lemmy like um, pulled out a little bag of white substance, which I assumed was Coke. <laughs> and I took two hits of it and it was like the strongest speed I've ever like done in my entire life and i like was up for two days cleaning the house and stuff i just want to say that i'm 18 years clean and sober but i definitely lived the 80s 
Well, uh, well, c- first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I mean, how do you, because I've never had a drug or drink in my life. Really? Never? Not once. I was once. like my mom. She never did either. Never smoked a cigarette. Nothing. I mean, I'm not against it. You know, I'm certainly around it every night. Uh, how do you stay clean and sober in the industry that you're in? I mean, I know it's not quite the 80s now. But right. Still, you go to shows. There's Well, let's just say that in the 80s, I did enough for all of us. So it doesn't really... <laughs> appeal to me anymore like i can be around it and it's like and you know my my main drug was pot and you know i basically quit because i didn't want to like wait around on my pot dealer anymore so i'm glad i quit before it became legal because i don't know that i ever would have but it was really really tough for like six months i you know it's like i quit pot and cigarettes on the same day and i pretty much cried every day for six months because you know, they were my friends and I love to smoke. But and then after that, I kind of wanted to drink red wine by the bottle instead of the glass. So I had to quit drinking. And I I just know that I can't have a glass of red wine without wanting to go to cigarettes like right after that. Right. And then, you know, five minutes down the road to join or whatever. So I just can't do any of it. And, you know, I think when you're an addict, you switch it that's what you do it's like you trade out one thing for another and you know especially when you quit drugs and alcohol it's like foods start tasting really really good and your taste buds wake up so it's like i'm still dealing with that you can't just quit food like with drugs and alcohol you can just quit and cold turkey it or whatever but you have to eat to like live so you know life's a balance you have to like figure out the balance of things oh sure i mean too much of anything is bad for you even you know i i've known people who you know were marathon runners who dropped dead at 45 (laughs) they they basically ruined their body through the stress of marathons and uh you know they they didn't eat any fat so uh you know you need a little bit of fat and whatnot so uh yeah it's true or you know some people go to sex or whatever it is shopping well, that might have been my well you just hit my two uh vices but uh <laughs> shopping and sex well uh, what do you like to buy i um <laughs> you know i i have such a love of the 80s metal scene that you know in, in the world of stand-up i thought well how can i stand out without being obnoxious because in the world of comedy and i guess it would be the same in music we talk about striper you know they they weren't necessarily given credit for their musicianship because of how they looked. I never wanted to wear clothes on stage. Was, oh, this guy has a Hawaiian shirt on it. That's wacky, but they weren't listening to the jokes. So I wear uh, leather pants. Oh, so uh, you do an 80s look in your act? I do. I, I if you, <laughs> Yes. I, uh, my fashion animal uh, is like a Billy Idol. I'm obsessed with Steve Stevens, his guitar player, who... Looks like a Jersey Shore housewife, but it, I just I can't take my eyes off him because he's got the leather bell bottoms. He's got the, you know, I think it's a Versace shirt with the buttons, you know, unbuttoned. And so I hit a like an '80s, like a Billy Idol meets Elvis Costello. I want people to look at me. You know, there's at the comedy store. There's typically twelve to fifteen comics on the lineup. I want them to remember me. So, uh, you know, I might need your, uh, you should start managing comics. <laughs> if you really want some fun. Uh, 
But you also have uh, a yeah. Comics are definitely an interesting breed. Oh, you have Most no idea. Most of them like have like really bad childhoods. So that's where they like can pull from. Did what, you have a bad childhood? Um, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I was never molested. Uh, okay. And I'm certainly not making fun of that. Uh, I uh, my parents are strange, uh, so uh, they they didn't sleep in the same room. Uh, so I thought that was weird because the first time I spent the night. I had kind of interesting parents like that, too. It's like I hardly ever saw them kiss. I'm like, how yeah. did I like get made? <laughs> yeah, but I know. Are you an only child? I have two brothers and oh, two okay. sisters. So I, I, you know, we were raised like wolves. Like we dinner was made and we went in five different rooms. Uh, you know, I went to the TV room. My brothers went outside. Sisters went upstairs. Uh, but we love each other. Like, it, um, and it, I think that is the same with my parents. Like, they loved each other. They died two months apart. And I'm almost glad it happened that way. They were probably soulmates. Oh, I mean, and yeah. I, it probably sounds macabre to some people wishing your parents. But we knew once one died, the other would go very fast. So uh, I did not have a uh, abusive childhood. To, but I had an interesting, growing up in Bel Air was very interesting in that in the 80s you know there you know i wasn't raised really around a lot of minorities but uh my caretaker was black so uh, we were pulled over almost twice a week when he would take me to school really because here here was a uh, african-american and a green dodge charger with a white kid in the back and the cops would go uh did you, you see black Klansman? oh it was great great like, movie uh, i mean it really triggered me because you know my dad was a little racist he was from the south or whatever and it's yeah yeah well i mean my mom was from uh cartersville georgia uh which is you don't get any black Klansman could have been filmed in cartersville uh but it's sad that it's like going on still in this day and age it's like uh, i it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. It's like, you know, come on, we're all the same. We all bleed. It's like, yeah, I mean, I why judge somebody by the color of their skin. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, what drives me up a wall in the comedy world, you know, is when you see a, a funny black comic and it's, oh, he's a funny black comic. Like, no, he's just a funny comic or it, and it happens a lot with female comics. Yeah. Or musicians. Like, yeah. I know this drummer, Tasha Jones, she's like, I put her up against any drummer, okay? It's like people don't ever say about her, she's good for a girl, you know, because she's just like a great drummer. But it always happens, or she's great for a girl guitar player or drummer or whatever, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, like my friend Nita plays for Alice Cooper, and she's great. And uh, before her, there was Orianti, and it's like, they're great guitar players, and I... But you always hear the great female guitar, guitar player. Yeah, they have to put that in there. So it's just like I, I but I get. I don't know if it's going to change. I mean, I think you know, especially in this. Well, that, yeah, I know with the Me Too stuff, it's like it's gotten really weird because people don't know how to act around each other. It's like just how about a little respect? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in general, for you know, both sexes. Oh, I mean that, you know, when I was uh, with the girl from Motorhead for six years, I, I saw what she went through. Like, uh, and I know you guys, you probably worked with the same people. And like, I remember once, uh, 
you know, Motorhead was playing the Wiltern. It's her 30th anniversary. And it was great. Like it was just, uh, all these pro wrestlers were there because they, they love Lemmy and uh, Dave Grohl was there and Don Dawkins snuck into Lemmy's dressing room and he started taking his beer and uh, <laughs> Shelly was like, why hey. they weren't like serving beer at the venue or well, I, I don't, <laughs> or he just was too cheap to buy the beers. What? I don't think Mr. Dawkins <laughs> wanted to pay for his uh, alcoholic beverages. And Shelly was busy doing something. She's like, you got to kick him out. And I'm like, I, I, he's not going to, pay attention to me so i had to like say hey man this is lemmy's dressing room and he wouldn't leave so i had to go back to shelly and go he's not leaving you gotta and so shelly went just kicked him out right away and i saw how he treated her like basically who are you you know and uh i saw that a lot with you know uh, male artists treating her like oh you're just the blonde co-manager yeah either either that or somebody's girlfriend or yeah yeah it's like no she's or every time i did an interview in the 80s okay which one did you sleep with (laughs) you know it's like none you know i mean like i know in my world that you know they say never sleep with other comics it's just uh you know don't uh don't play ball in the house i want to use another phrase but i don't like i want to be appropriate with you uh how did you not like because like comics are all i'm around uh it all you are are around are artists and and fellow a and r people and managers like how do you like separate your your social life or do you even have a social life you know i don't really have much of a social life right now you know you know I'd like to think that I could still get married. I'm like 60 now. So you don't look it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The 80s did you well. Thank you. Well, I think that has a lot to do with getting sober 18 years ago, too. Otherwise, I'd probably be dead. But, um, you know, I I have a posse of male friends that I hang out with. You know, I don't you. sleep with any of them, but I hang out with them. And, you know, hopefully... The one will come around that I want to hang out with. I, you know, I would love a partner. You know. Now, would you prefer them to not be uh, in the music field? Like, would you date? Not um, this- I think they have to be creative, but right. you know, I, I work with musicians, so I probably don't want to date a musician. You know, somebody that was a musician in the past or whatever. Yeah, sure, fine. Right. You know. All right. Well, before. I, I could I know you you're busy and uh once again please buy Vicky's book Appetite for Dysfunction at VickyHamilton.com. Thank you for that. No, please. Uh and uh all her current artists, uh the Tender Beats. Damien Sage, Darby Sean. They have some shows coming up, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Well, uh Lestats. Damien's playing Lestats. I don't know what the date is on that. I will get that date right away. I believe it's uh, let me 21st, see. I want to October, say. October uh, 21st. Yes, and on the 20th, Healthy Junkies is playing Bar Sinister, and they're playing with um, Them Guns, which is Priscilla Presley's son. Um, that should be a good show. And uh, Darby is playing at The Basement in Nashville, Oh boy, when is it? 
I was fascinated by the music scene in Nashville uh, when I was there a few weeks ago. Did that, you love it? I mean, I mean, there were full country bands playing in almost every parking lot of every business. Uh, I don't. It it was, and the downtown area was just amazing, dude. Darby is playing the basement for a new face night on September 18th at 8 p.m. So if you're in the uh, Nashville area, please check that out. Yeah, and the basement's like my favorite club. That fresh face night, new face night is great, too. It packs out, and everybody just plays like five songs, and it's very cool. All right. And the Tinder Beats are playing in Brooklyn, but I don't know... They just played the other night, but they play a lot. So, well, you send me the info, I'll blast it out. Okay. Uh, but uh, I've saved uh, not necessarily uh, uh, the best for last, but uh, tell me about. Uh, <laughs> tell me about backstage, okay. Poison Rat. These, no, I'm just kidding. Well, that might, that's an off air question. Uh, Glitter Beach. Oh, sure. So Glitter Beach is a musical play that I co-wrote with Robbie Quine, who was a musician I did date, but now he's like my best friend. Rare. <laughs> and, he had a, and he had a lot to do with me getting sober. He's like an amazing guy. But what's, uh, I mean, can you talk about what it's about? Or? Yeah, um, it's, it's about a glam rock surfer dude who invents glam rock music in 1969 and, uh, uh, it's kind of the Wizard of Oz of the sea. Like there's like a mermaid muse and all these misfits come together and start a band. It's a really a fun thing. It's kind of like Hedwig meets like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but set in 1969. And the music's sort of David Bowie meets Dick Dale. It's really fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dick Dale's like... He's amazing. The- He's another guy that I did... I. I interviewed him and he was amazing it's like i saw like these like auras around his head and stuff when he was talking about being sober and like treat women good and all that stuff he's an amazing character he's like the van halen of surf guitar yes Uh, oh yeah he's amazing and still like you know rips it up yeah oh yeah totally you know which is you know one of the bummers about uh some of our uh, 80s comrades you know they don't quite uh like Dick Dale still plays at a high, high level. Yeah, and, uh, totally. You know, I don't mind mentioning this guy's name, and I'm his biggest fan. But uh, I saw Jake E. Lee at the Whiskey a couple of years ago. I was like, Jesus, like, kind of bummed me out. But uh, I haven't seen him in a long time. I mean, he's one of my favorite guitar players ever. Yeah. Just like, but uh, you know, not sure what's going on. But uh, I hope he. Uh, you might need your assistance in uh, cleaning up. Uh, but, you know, it must be hard for someone like that trying to make new music, but everyone wants to hear him play Bark at the Moon. Right. Like, if you, I'm not saying his manager, but like, how do. Uh, it's old, very hard to reinvent yourself, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's I, like, you, you really have to make a concentrated effort to do that. And you do have to play the hits. Right, because that's what you're you're known for. Yeah, your fans are not going to be happy if you don't play your hits. Like older bands, like, uh, you know, 
Rat put out an album in 2010 that I thought was one of their best albums from top to bottom. I don't think it sold 50,000 units where their worst album in the 80s, ah, it's a million. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kiss has put out a couple new albums in the last couple of years. And, you know, uh, I want to hear rock and roll all night. Like, right. Do, it, like, do, do you think, like, I know Doc McGee still manages Kiss. Like, and, and when they come to him and, or if an older artist say you managed, uh, let's just say Bon Jovi, uh, and they want to put out a new album, do you almost try and discourage them from putting out a new album, knowing that people only want to hear the hits? Well, I think that they have to become a chameleon and take it to a new space. I mean, Bon Jovi couldn't put out the same record he put out in 1985, you know? Right. Well, Vicki, I can't thank you enough. Uh, and whatever you need in the podcast world, it's yours. Oh, thank you. No, it's been I mean, really fun. Well, I, you know, I have such respect for your, not many people can say they've survived the music business for 30 plus years. And yeah. You know, it's like, Whenever I think I've like seen it all, there's always something that comes along and surprises me. <laughs> well, but you're still relevant. Like yeah. you have, you know, all the artists that we've talked about who currently have stuff going on. And uh, by the way, that song, uh, you know, when you tune into this episode of Inappropriate Earl, you're going to hear a song that you're going to go, that's not Stevie Rochelle's Forever Yours by the band Tough. That was a new song by the Tender Beats. Lemon Juice. And you can hear the full version of the song at the end of this podcast. Woohoo. Give so, them some love. Yeah, please give them some love. They're uh, on Spotify. And uh, Stevie, I'm sorry, but, you know, Vicky's a special guest. We had to, uh, you know, support Stevie Rochelle at all costs. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, he's one of the few people who carry the torch for the music that i like yeah. um but can people uh buy like the tender beats uh on itunes and all your other artists absolutely well if they can't if they can't find it they'll be able to find it on dark spark music coming up in the future you and, know so and, and around when will that uh be i'm hoping to like have something out there around my party on november 8th but if not in january it'll be coming out and okay. I just want to say that I do band and consulting and I consult upcoming managers and stuff like that too. So hit me up on my website. So please go to VickiHamilton.com yep. and uh, contact Vicky, but be, don't be an idiot. I, I have some fans that, you know, you know they're a little overzealous, uh, <laughs> but be respectful of her because uh, you won't find many people with her history in the music business, not just the past, but certainly in the present and in the future. And where can people find you, Vicky, on like Twitter and Instagram? Um, I'm mostly an Instagram and a Facebook girl. Oh, Facebook. Yeah. Okay. I still have Facebook. And uh, um, I'm Aesthetic Vicky on Instagram. So follow Vicky. Uh, all the bands that she's managing will, uh, you'll get their information on there. And, uh, you know, please, uh, let's all support Vicky. She was nice enough to come down here, buy her book, Appetite for Dysfunction. Don't go to Amazon, VickiHamilton.com. And it's a cool book. I mean, I'm halfway through it already. <laughs> and 
it's the stories are great if you're a fan of that era lots of pictures yeah the pictures are the best to see like you know steven adler like you know just a young like vibrant you know it, it's really well it's a time warp and it's certainly an era i don't think we'll ever see again visually and uh vicky i can't thank you enough for doing this Thanks for having me, Earl. It was fun. Oh, it's an honor. Uh, inappropriate Earl, guys. SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a review if you haven't done so already. Support all of Vicky's artists. And uh, who knows? Maybe Richard Black will hear this and go, maybe Earl is big enough now. I mean, you got a new <laughs> album out, Richard. You need some. You can't just go on Eddie Trunk to promote it. You know, you live in L.A. Come down, Richard. We'll mend fences. <laughs> <laughs>